Man, can't think of a better way to start the year than for you to make that your uh, statement of worship, but for you to make that the aim of your life. Uh, We believe that everything works best when Jesus is everything. That everything works together for good when the everything that we are aiming for is Jesus. A lot of your goals, a lot of your ambitions in this coming year are secondary to a need in your life for Jesus. It's why even in the pinnacle of his ministry, Jesus' cousin John is quoted in John chapter 3, verse 30, as saying, he must increase and I must decrease. Many of our goals, many of our ambitions are about us increasing this year. Increasing a bank account, increasing our health level, increasing joy and happiness within our marriage, our relationships. But I would submit to you that perhaps the lasting joy your soul longs for, but it doesn't know to identify yet within Christ will only be found not in an achievement you achieve, but in a rest you will find in a surrender to the Savior. Throughout generations, Jesus is overlooked and underestimated. We think we've grasped our need of him fully in moments of our deepest failure, only to quickly forget how much we need him moment by minute, minute by minute, moment by moment, minute by minute, and hour by hour. I would submit in this year, just like every year that you've ever walked in, you need Jesus. And I have extreme good news this morning. Jesus has made himself available to imperfect people who underestimate their need of him and often stray from and wander from his shepherding hand. And you've changed. Over the last decade, you've changed. Your ambitions, your goals have changed. You've moved the goalpost on what a successful life looks like. But I've got good news for you this morning. We serve a God who has not changed. He's never tried to ascend a hill to become great. He's just been great. He's never done an act of goodness, only to shrink back into the shadows to do evil. He has always been good. And his constancy gives us hope that In relationship with him, we will find an enduring hope for the unknowns that are going to face us in this upcoming year. I communicated last week uh, to the church that there are uh, long seasons in our church where I will go through a book of the Bible, feeling led by the Holy Spirit to teach and build you up in the Word of God. And then there are some seasons where uh, my quiet times that I'm having uh, and conversations and wrestling matches that I'm having with God kind of bleed over into the sermons immediately. And we're in that season uh, where I, I feel like the Lord is, is kind of stripping away all the ornaments off of my life and getting back to the basic functions and foundations that I need in order for me to be the kind of follower of Jesus uh, that God has created me to be, that my wife needs me to be, that my kids need me to be, my family, my community, and our church need me to be. 
And so I'm getting back to the basics of life. I don't know if you remember back in the early 90s, uh, during the peak of Christendom, whenever uh, Free Chapel was the Evangel Cathedral. Anybody remember Evangel Cathedral back in the day? They put on some plays at Evangel Cathedral back in the 90s. I'm talking live donkeys and camels and stuff. Anybody go to Evangel Cathedral and see the donkeys come in the church? Okay, well, my parents took me to the Beacon for the first time when I was around seven years old, and then we went to the Evangel Cathedral, which is a, a recipe for an explosive experience. Never will forget. That night, Kathy Tricoli, uh, Clay Cross, he sang, in a midnight cry, we'll be going home. Anybody remember? Oh, nobody. Okay. And, and then the headliner was a group called For Him. For Him. Y'all remember For Him? It was a boy band that was Christian. Backstreet Boys with the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, they had a song. The song was, we need to get back to the basics of life. Remember that? Oh, that is right. Rio knows. Y'all need to know something. Uh, we don't plan the music before the sermon. When I walk up, they, they're, Jordan's scared to death. I asked him, I asked him, I said, do you want a spirit-filled preacher or not? Do you want someone that's going to be led by the Spirit or someone who's planning a move of the Spirit? And we do both. Like, the, the, the Holy Spirit's not against planning, but there's some times where I'm down there, I'm like, the Lord, I think, wants us to sing this. And I come up, and I look at Jordan, I'm like, we're going to sing this, and, and he doesn't know it. And so th- now they, they, they put a warning in. Here's the warning the band gives me weekly. This is free, this is extra, I'll get back to the point. They say to me, Rio's playing this week, have at it. Because they know he and I are weird, and we remember everything we've ever sung. And they also know that sometimes I sing stuff, and they're like, he's not even in close to the key because I like all the keys. (laughs) For all the songs. What I want to do over the next couple of weeks is I want to get back to some basics that most of you who have been in church are going to shrug off and go, we know that. Things that you're going to think are not revolutionary, that if you would do them consistently, they would revolutionize your life. And so last week, uh, a lot of people are into this, I want a word for the year. I, I want a word. I want a word for the year. And, and so I, I proposed uh, some of the word of God, which is always in season, as your word for the year. It's, it comes out of John chapter 15. It's where Jesus says, remain in me. Now, there's a lot of grand and big goals that you could have. But, but I, I would submit to you that if you want to live a life that is great this year in the eyes of God, it will require a daily, consistent commitment to remain in him. The Christian life is not an exhibition of what you can do for God. In fact, the, the problems we get into in our Christian pursuits are you taking up your flesh and trying to do something for God. The Christian life is only possible and is only lived when you do so by remaining in him. It's not what can you do for God, but what can God do in and through you. You see, the Christian's aim, the Christian's life is a daily exhibition of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And for you and I, if we want to live a life that's great in the eyes of God in this upcoming year, 
we're going to have to get familiar with a life of dependency. I like to remind people of that in election years because we love to live, and I do too, in a country that is independent. I believe that democracy is the best government system, that humanity, apart from God being king and ruler, literally reigning on earth over us, that we will ever come up with. So let me be very clear about those things. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you belong to a kingdom before you belong to a country. You serve a king before you vote for a president. And at the end of the day, while we elect our government officials, we have a king who is not elected, who is reigning, ruling, and returning, who reigns over our hearts. And the reason I bring these kinds of things up in these years is it is very easy in our American context to say, I'm independent from everything. And I want to remind you that if you're independent from everything, then you're going to be a train wreck because you've been created to be dependent on one thing. His name is Jesus, and he is the author and perfecter of your faith. And you and I, if we are to live a life that glorifies God, must live in daily dependency upon him. You've got to come to his will for a drink of water. You've got to take up your cross and follow him every single day. And so I want today do a, I want to do a priority check on your life. Because believe it or not, there are some things that you are deeming as of essential importance right now that if you would take a biblical review of them, they are of secondary importance at best. And if you get the things that are non-essential out of the essential category in your life, then you might get what is essential in its proper place. And if you can get what's essential in its proper place, then maybe you'll find that in the essential of life, you can find what you need for the non-essentials of life that are blessings that God desires to give you in your life. And so I want to take the next few moments and go through several texts of Scripture to encourage you to reallocate, to relook at your life priorities. And this year, perhaps, if he has been misplaced into a non-essential part of your life, restart your life in this new year with Jesus being at the center. Are you tracking with me? We're going to do it in 25 minutes. Here we go. Uh, in order for us to live the life that God has intended, we must remember that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, Jesus said, or God said in the first commandment to his people, you must not have any other gods but me. This text is a reminder that our life's energy and zeal are going to be an act of worship to something. You and I constantly are worshiping something. We were made to worship, created to worship. When we take in creation, we either worship the God of that creation or we worship creation itself. The book of Romans says that all of humanity has looked at creation and instead of looking to the God behind it, we've taken creation and made an idol out of it and begun to worship it as our God. So I want you to understand, first and foremost, before we jump into this priority talk, that you right now are worshiping something with zeal, something with passion. It may be a relationship that you don't have, a promotion you desire to get, some respect that you think that you'll receive whenever you arrive to a destination with a degree on a wall. It, it may be a, a, a goal that you've made of getting to a certain state in life, but it becomes the driving factor behind why you get out of bed and why you do what you do. That's worship. I want you to ask this question. What is it that drives you? What is it that elicits passion from within you? 
Because that is an object that, if not checked, will be the main motivator and thing that you worship in your life. And God's command to us is that we would have no other gods before him, that he would be the aim, the object of our worship. Many of us acknowledge that this is true, that God is God and nothing else should be in his seat, that nothing else should be in his place. But I want to communicate to you that even the demons acknowledge the authority of God, but they do not surrender to it. And that there are a lot of you in this house that acknowledge what you have read in the Bible and Grandma taught you in her kitchen But it has not transformed the way that you live your life. It has not become a priority that motivates you in the way that you live. And as a result, your acknowledgement is useless when it comes to transformation. So I want you to understand that the Bible lays out, I believe, a food chain for living. A food chain for how all of this works. And when you get the first thing first, right, everything else works better. But if you get what's first wrong, everything is broken. And here's the food chain. I I believe it looks something like this. Jesus, relationships, stuff. This looks different than the t-shirts you see at the cute little boutique shops. It's not Jesus family football. No. It's Jesus, relationships, and some relationships are more important than others, and then stuff. Let me explain why I believe this is the biblical order and why it has to operate this way in order for you to be healthy. Jesus has to be first, preeminent, first and foremost in your life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 17 begins to explain why. For through him, Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see. How many of you want to figure out life? Anybody? It'd be great to figure out life. 39 years, going on 40. Love to figure it out. Love to know how it works. The problem many of us have is we think that we can figure out life apart from its creator. We think that we're going to figure out life through experience. We're going to figure out life by climbing bigger mountains and higher hills and Achieving greater things than we've ever achieved before. And, and, and in doing so, we'll figure out life. Well, there's a problem. If that endeavor and that journey is something that you've set out on without the creator of life, then all you're going to get is more confused with life. You're going to find yourself in the seat of a guy like Solomon who did everything that you could do in life. He achieved the greatest achievements. He built the biggest buildings. He threw the biggest parties. He uh, had the greatest feast. Everyone talked about how great and grand and wise Solomon was. He had everything that you could ever want in this world, and he ends up writing the book of Ecclesiastes for us about the meaningless of life because whenever you get everything in this life apart from the creator that made this life, then life just still, even when you have everything, won't make sense. He made thrones, he made kingdoms, he made rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him, and the reason it was created, so make sure you're reading this with me. This is not Greek, this is English. It was made for him. How many of you have set out in a year with lots of ambition And no regard for him. And you thought it was going to go great. Because this was your year. If 
My favorite year to make fun of this is how many people were like, 2020, year of vision, clarity, going to be great, going to seize the day, going to be awesome. And for the introverts in the house, it was your year. Because you got to stay home and not be around weird people. But for most of the people, the extroverts that were pounding their chest about how much they were going to do, how, about how, how many great things that were going to happen, they went about that year shell-shocked because they didn't know the future. It was made for him. Let me, let me just expand upon the idea. Your suffering that you're going through and you're enduring and you think it's meaningless and wasting and, and God's just not present and you're dealing with silence, let, let me explain what that space is for. It's for him. Because God's in that space. God's in that silence. God's in those tears. God's in that pain. He's not absent from it. He's using it for a peculiar glory that you may not understand fully and completely right now, but I believe that there's not a moment of the human experience that's not been made to be lived in the face of God and for the glory of God and by the power of God be something that you raise on the last day as a peculiar glory to the name of God at the heavenly feast. It was for him. That job that you got, it's for him. Your marriage, it was not for you. I mean, that's the biggest problem you've got going in your marriage. You're, you think it's about your satisfaction and happiness first. No, it was for him to receive glory. It was for him and your community so that people around you would see the glory of God at work through two broken people that shouldn't make it but are enduring and bearing fruit in their marriage in a way that's uncommon. It was for him. Those kids, that's not for you to get your significance they're not for you to think that you've arrived. They're not for you to say that we made a generation. No, 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 they're for him. Uh, your paycheck, this is where it gets uncomfortable in church because the preacher just said money. It's not for you. It's for him. Your legacy, it's not for you. It's for him. You see, see we get messed up in life when we begin to think that it's for us at any level. It's not for you. It's not for me. It's always been for him. He made all things. He holds them together. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So many of you feel like you're coming unglued. And if you feel like you're coming unglued, the question would be, in Colossians, is, are, are, are you submitting whatever it is, good, bad, broken, whole, whatever you think it is, are you submitting it to God who holds it together? You may not be able to hold it together, but he made it. And when you give it to him, he has the ability to hold together what you, you, you don't know how to keep together. I mean, I, I've seen this happen time and again in my life. I, I've seen people that have gone and done things that they never thought they would do and found themselves in positions that they never wanted to be. And, and, and then they surrender their life to God and God does something that seemed to be improbable, impossible with their life whenever they came to him. Jesus has to be first because he holds it all together. He makes it work. So if your life isn't working, then you should begin to focus more on what holds your life together and makes it work, namely Jesus. In John chapter 15, where I talked about last week, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says this, Remain in me, there's the word, and I will remain in you. It's a reaffirmation of the commitment he made to us post-resurrection when he looked at his disciples and says, go therefore into all nations and baptize them and teach them to obey. And lo, I am with you always. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Jesus was forsaken so that you would never be forsaken even in your sin, even in your rebellion. 
This is what we have in Christ Jesus. I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Let me ask you again, how many of you this year want to live a life that at the end of it has made a difference within eternity? How many of you this year want to live a life that gives you greater confidence that should you stand before God days after this year is done, that you will have lived this last year on this earth in a way that God would get glory and honor through it? If that is your goal, the only way it will happen is if you remain in him. He goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do And the problem is most of you believe that verse is a lie. Many of you believe that there's something that you can do without abiding in God. There's something that you can achieve. And from an earthly level, yeah, you're right. You can get stuff done without God on earth, but it will not in eternity matter. And it will not in eternity last unless it's done by abiding in God. What legacy do you want? A legacy that's burnt up, that disappears, and there's nothing that comes through the other side of the fire? Or a legacy that has a a crown to cast at the feet of Jesus at the end of your life because Jesus in you produced much fruit through you. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Jesus must be at the center because it's from our relationship with Jesus that we go into every other interaction we have. Or when you don't abide in Christ, when he's not at the center of your life, the only option is weariness and worry. Weariness and worry are the symptoms of a life that's drifting from Jesus being the center. You can come to Jesus worried, but when you stand in the presence of Jesus and you dwell and you sleep, don't sleep at night and you're crying out to God over and over again and the Spirit of God meets you, what ends up happening is that worry is replaced with presence. It's not that everything gets fixed, it's just that your confidence that he who is with you is greater than that which you were worrying about before you came to him. So you and I, we have an option every single day. Am I going to operate from Jesus, who's my plumb line, who's... uh, providing for me the things that I need to endure, to honor, to abide, to give him glory in my day? Or am I going to wake up today and instead of denying myself and taking him on my cross and following him, am I going to abide in my flesh and try to do it by myself because I'm pretty talented, I'm pretty special, I'm a unique guy. I'm, it's like the Saturday Night Live skit with Michael Jordan. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. And at the end of that, you'll find more insecurity, more worry, and more weariness than you've ever found in your life. And I watched the human cycle of it go over and over again. Now, some of you, here's the problem. You're really talented. So you can go for a few years before you run into a roadblock. Everything you touch, it turns to gold, and you're like, "I I don't really need God. And you can be deceived into thinking maybe for decades that you don't really need to be as desperate as all those other people for God who just are outwardly broken more than you are. But I want to submit to you that when you do not remain in him, what you are doing is a life, you're living a life that is meaningless and will not matter. That in the end, it will not sustain. That in the end, it will not hold fast. That in the end, it will not be something that gives God a peculiar glory because you in and of yourself are incapable of giving and living a life that glorifies God. Jesus must be the center. Now, 
What's the second part of the priority? If Jesus is at the center, then we operate in relationships. Relationships. The first thing God says that it's not good for, uh, for, to happen in creation is in Genesis. He says it's not good for man to be alone. All the singles said? Thank you. We are made for relationship. We are made to be in relationship vertically with God, but we are made for horizontal relationships with each other. There is a need in all of our life for relational intimacy in some way, in some fashion, and in some form. So much so that the entire law that God gives the people of God in the book of Exodus revolves around relationships. The first five commandments deal with your vertical relationship with God. The second five commandments deal with your horizontal relationship with each other. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but when you read the Ten Commandments, the first five are about you and God. No other gods before me. Do not take my name in vain. But the second, they're dealing with your neighbor. The second half, do not covet your neighbor. Don't lie against them. It's dealing with you and your neighbor. Does this make sense? Because you were made to live in relationship with each other. Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, what's the most important part of the law? He sums it up this way in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the... Because if you don't get that part right, you will be incapable of doing the second part. Most of us, many of us, at various times in our life, have tried to do the second part of this commandment without doing the first part. So then we have an inadequate love, an inadequate patience, an inadequate peace to give to our neighbor. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. How many of you would say you have relationships in your your life that need more love in them this year? One hand in the back. How many of you would say in your life there are some relationships that need more joy in your life? Oh, I feel a revival coming on. I see two hands. (laughs) How many of you in your life have relationships that you would say need more peace this year? Okay. How many of you would say that there are relationships that you have where you need someone to give you more patience? Y'all are a bunch of Baptists. <laughs> Jesus walks in the room and y'all are still seated. How many of y'all would say that you have some relationships in your life that need kindness? Okay. How many of you say you got some relationships in your life that need more goodness? See, y'all don't want to. Y'all don't raise your hand because you know it's a setup. Keep going. How many of you need relationships in your life where you need people in those relationships or you need to be more faithful in them? Faithfulness. How many need more faithfulness in a relationship this year? I see nods of heads. It's a Baptist revival. How many of you need relationships that you can experience more gentleness this year? How many of you have relationships where you need more self-control in them this year? And what's amazing is everything that I just read you that most of you silently agreed to some degree with me that you need in a relationship around you. Everything that I just read to you comes as a fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians. John 15 says, Abide in me and I in you, for apart from me you can do nothing. And God gets much glory whenever you bear much fruit. 
And many of you have relationships where you need love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, mercy, self-control. That's the ESV version of me translating it. <clears throat> and would say, I need that in those relationships. Well, here's the problem. Love can't be the aim. God, who is love, must be the aim. Here's the problem. You enduring and being more patient and holding your tongue can't be the aim. You coming to God, who is patient, who when you're in his presence and loving him, patiently loves you so that you then know what patient love looks like when you go into that relationship. That's got to be the aim. You see, many of you want the object, but you don't want the embodiment of it. And when you come to Jesus, what you find is a God who is loving, a God who is kind, a God who is patient, a God who is faithful. And when you stand in the presence of a God who is those things, the effect of being in his presence means that you leave his presence going into those relationships that you have around you, carrying what you lacked before you got into the presence of God in the first place. Some of you don't have love for your spouse anymore. Well, God's remedy, God's challenge to you would be to get in his presence so that he can give you a love that would bring you to loving your spouse in a way that you lack. Many of you would say that you're in a position where you don't feel like you can be kind to your enemies anymore. Well, getting in the presence of God who loved his enemies and was kind to them whenever they were still evil towards him will give you a kindness that is wise that you can extend so that the kingdom of God can be seen to those that are around you. See, many of us want to give people in our relationships the vices of the world instead of the virtues of the kingdom. Therefore, we stay out of the presence of the king because if we got in the presence of the king first, we would then be forced to carry to those uh, relationships that we are trying to get one up on, get through, get by. We, we would then be forced to carry the kingdom of God into those relationships where restoration might be part of the king's agenda. Where something that's not carnal and doesn't make you feel good inside because you would get some kind of vengeance in your plan instead of some kind of redemption in God's plan that might be experienced in that relationship. Many of us not going first to God is a tactical plan because we don't want to give the world and the people and the relationships around us the kingdom of God. We want to give them the world. They gave me hate, I give them hate. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But Jesus dealt with that when he said, when someone slaps your face, give them the... You and I aren't made to make this our best life ever. We are made to make this a life that gives him the best glory ever. And our aim and ambition cannot be our promotion, it must be God's glory. And if you want God to receive glory in your relationships, the only way that he will receive great glory in those relationships is by you abiding in him. This is why Jesus can say to those that abide in him, you can now love because you have been loved, 1 John four nineteen. This is why Jesus can command you to pray stuff like, forgive us as we forgive those that have because when you know you've been forgiven by a God that forgave a greater debt than anyone has ever accorded against you, it gets a lot easier to, accord, uh, to, to forgive a less debt to someone that has sinned against you. This, this is why uh, Jesus can say, after he has knelt and took on the towel of a servant and washed the muck off his disciples' feet, you now do as I have done and wash their feet. 
You have been served, therefore serve. You have been loved, therefore love. You have been forgiven, therefore forgive. And if you're lacking the ability to do it, then just remember what's first in your life. And if you come back to what's first in your life, I will remind you, I will show you, I will empower you, I will endure you into the act of serving what you believe is unserverable, of loving what you believe is unlovable, of forgiving what you believe is unforgivable. It won't be you that does it. It'll be me in you that does it. It'll be good news. It won't be a demonstration of your grit, but it'll be a demonstration of my power in you. You see, this is all over the pages of Scripture, folks. This is the normal Christian life, folks, but for the majority of us, we would rather go first to our feelings than to God. And as a result, we don't have anything to offer to the world who's looking in darkness for a light. Which is why many of them drive by, never coming into the fellowship of the communion of saints because there's a lot of people that call themselves saints that are walking around in the dark trying to conceal what God has done in their life as if they belong in the world instead of being someone that he has set apart to belong to his kingdom. The last priority I want you to see is after Jesus, after relationships, the third thing is stuff. And it has to be in this order. It has to be in this order. Stuff, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and, 20, 19 and 21 is one of the first texts I ever memorized as a kid. Uh, it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and, and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I never knew what that meant as a kid. It didn't make sense to me. I just thought it meant like be poor, uh, be impoverished. <laughs> but, but, but as I've grown in life, I've begun to understand that Money and possessions and promotion cannot be the aim of your life. They will, not, they will not give you significance. The success will not sustain your identity. You have been created to aim for something greater than stuff. And the invitation of that text is saying, don't make your aim, don't make your life energy and passion about getting more stuff. Make it about his kingdom. Make it about his purpose. Make it about his glory. Make it about his name and his renown. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, it says this, uh, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. How many of you this year are being given the invitation seven days into it to not make it about the greed that was haunting every one of your resolutions that you were about to go about this year? It's about golf carts, it's about boats. These are mine. I'm just saying, if you've got a golf cart and a boat I, I, and you need someone to take it off your hands, I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> it's not about how much you own. Luke 12, 15. 1 Timothy 6, 10, last text I'll show you, it says this, for the love of money, not money, but the love of it, when you cherish it, when you value it, when you long for it, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith, what's first, what's preeminent, what's most important, and pierced themselves with what? Trouble, 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 trouble. Trouble been haunting me since the day I was born. Worry, 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 worry. Man, you don't have to know Jesus to know what it's like to live in the absence of Jesus. You can know worry without Jesus. You can know trouble without Jesus. All you got to do is put stuff in the preeminent place of your life. Now, I, I get this is simple, but let me just, to close, give you a few ways to identify if these are the symptoms of a misprioritized life in your life. 
Here's what happens when relationships matter more than God, okay? This is how you know they matter more than God. When God's word becomes negotiable at the point that it negatively affects your relationships so that you begin to edit the word of God because you cherish the relationship more than your relationship with God. Relationships have become a bigger priority in your life than God has. How many of you right now, and this is easiest to pick on single people, so let's do it. How many of you right now are overlooking major character flaws in other people that you're considering dating or are dating, and instead of standing on the word of God and trusting him to bring about a relationship that glorifies and honors him, you're impatiently trying to shortcut and cut corners and look past clear demarcations that should concern you about someone that will not be spiritually mature enough to be in relationship with you once you're married and the sizzle of the romance and the wedding day is done. So we know God's word to be true, but yet we overlook God's word because it's not convenient to us keeping the relationship which now matters more to us than communion with God. How many of you have edited God's word to keep a relationship? I was listening to Stephen A. Smith uh, at a conference recently. He's a, he's a professing follower of Jesus. And he essentially said that he was not going to allow himself to get baited into taking a stand for Christ publicly uh, in a way that would cost him his career. And I heard that. You were there. Do you remember that? He, 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 he went down that line, and, and I could see everyone in the room kind of pull back. Got, Is that what he said? And I, I'm pretty sure it's what he said. Now, if, if he wasn't and I'm misplacing what he's saying, then forgive me. But I, I think essentially what he was saying is there's a line where I'm going to conceal my faith for the promotion of my career. That's misplaced. Instead of being, whenever relationships matter more than God, instead of being a blessing to people around you, you now become a curse to them. Because as the Proverbs say, you begin to give them the kisses of flattery instead of the, the love of truth. If you want an example of what it looks like to prioritize a relationship more than God, go to the story of Adam and Eve in the beginning and look at the man that's standing behind the woman doing nothing as she walks into death. All because he wanted the relationship more than he wanted communion ongoing with God. What happens when stuff matters more than God? Well, God will only be as useful to you as the expediency with which he delivers what you want from him. So you come to church to see if God will give you what you want. But if he doesn't, you'll change churches. If he doesn't, you'll stop going to church. If he doesn't, you'll go to psychobabble in our community and in our society that'll give you a better life. If he doesn't, you'll find an oil for it. If he doesn't, you'll find a new goal for it. If he doesn't, then you go and find whatever will service the thing that you want that God doesn't seem to be giving you in your life. How many of you right now have a misprioritized life and you don't come to God and you don't abide in God because God's not behind your plan to get more stuff? You see, when God doesn't give you what you want, when you want it, we move on from him and become allegiant to anything that will give us what we want, which means we enslave ourselves to some form of sin. For an example here, you can go to the story of the rich young ruler who's given the invitation to give up his stuff so that he can walk as a disciple with Jesus. And instead, he chooses his stuff over How many of you this year have a misprioritized life that values stuff more than God? 
I get it. It's going to get real quiet. It's supposed to be a simple sermon, and now we've got conviction in the room. Uh, let me give you the last one. How do you know that stuff matters more than relationships? Because that's a big problem. Well, people, if stuff matters more than relationships, become a means to gather more stuff. So they're not image bearers. They're employees, subservient to my cause, to my need, to what I want. If you want an example of what it looks like to value stuff more than relationships, go look at the parable of the unforgiving servant who comes to his master owing a great debt and is forgiven, but then goes and finds out someone owes a much lesser debt to him and holds it over their head and refuses to forgive them. Life is meant to work with you operating out of your relationship with Jesus and in him finding a love that brings you to the love of your neighbor, that brings you to a place of you being able to give kindness and peace and mercy to those that are around you at a level that is not humanly possible apart from the Spirit of God at work in you. So here's my question to you this year as you set out. Is Jesus everything? Can I confess something to you? I wrote those words in my office on Thursday afternoon and immediately pushed the chair back from my desk and got on my knees. Because I knew that in various ways, stuff had become a rival to Jesus. I've been blessed with a lot of stuff. I pushed the chair back in my office and got on my knees because I knew that in many ways, I had misplaced time with God with the excuse of relationships that needed what I was only gonna get from that time with God. And I did something that's probably not normal for a lot of you to experience in the Christian life, but I believe it's the normal Christian life. I actively repented at my desk because I knew that I was doing the very thing that I was gonna come and challenge you and I today to not do. And that if I was gonna lead you and what it looks like to start a year with Jesus being the center and Jesus being first, that I was going to have to lead the way by acknowledging that in many ways over 2023, Jesus was anything but first and Jesus was not at the center. And as a result of it, I was tired and weary and worried. Because in various ways, relationships have become more important than God. And in various ways, stuff had become more important than God. And sometimes stuff is more important than relationships. As a result of it, I was mistreating people because I was wanting more stuff that people had and I was wanting from them. So I don't know what your goals are this year, but if you wanna live a life that's great, there's only two things that are called great in the Bible, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And if your aim is to live a great life, in God's eyes, it will likely be done by you taking up your cross daily and making about his Great Commission with the attitude and spirit of the Great Commandment. So I I don't know what your endeavors are, what you're planning to do this year, but I want to invite you to repentance if Jesus is anything but your everything. I want to invite you to surrender if Jesus is anything but preeminent and first in your life. And whatever it is that is rivaling your affection, I want to invite you to surrender it. I want to invite you to let go of it. I want to invite you to run from it as you run back to him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayer team's here. We'd love to pray with you as we start out this year. You move as the Lord leads. In Jesus' name.